skip over them because who reads a phone book for fun? And even more than that, who reads a phone book in order to try to hear from God? So a list of names can sometimes kind of be a, a turn off, something that we just don't want to do. After all the amazing and deep theology in Romans, Paul basically ends this letter by going through his mental Rolodex. So I'm going to use that term in this service because you guys will get that. The next service, they'll have no idea what a Rolodex is. But he's going through this mental Rolodex and trying to greet as many people in Rome as he can remember. And um, a list of names and personal details, of course, doesn't sound like a particularly promising passage of Scripture for you to give a Sunday up to come and to walk through this together. But please don't think for a moment that this chapter is, is unimportant. This, this chapter is super important because it shows us names. And Pastor Vody Bauckham, in speaking about names, once said this. And we're going to put it on the screen. He said, God knows names. And when they're written in the blood of Christ, the names are the names of his children. So what we're seeing here and seeing these names this morning are names of God's children. And they're a reminder that God knows. God doesn't forget. Praise God. He doesn't forget. And these names show us the importance of biblical community, of having a family of faith that blesses one another. And we are indeed family. We're, we're family. Praise God. Sometimes we're, we're like the description of, of fudge, some sweet and some nuts, you know, um, we, we have some of that within the family, but we are family. I was thinking of, in, in 1979, four sisters from Philadelphia, the Sisters Sledge, recorded their only number one hit, We Are Family. So we are, I, I said that wrong, we are family. There we go, a little better. That same year, the Pitch, Pittsburgh Pirates were down three games to one in the World Series when, as a team, they adopted that song as their team theme song. It's kind of a weird time to adopt a song, but they did it, and Willie Stargell led them back to win the next three games, and they won the World Series. Now, they have not won a series since then, which makes me feel a little better about being a Georgia Bulldog fan because they have one more year of not win being a champion than, than we do. But anyway, think about this. As a team, they took on this picture of we're family and they went out and of course played a game but they did their best and there's something about families we all know this our families can be the source of our greatest joy and in the same way our families can be a source of our deepest heartaches right great joy sometimes deep heartaches there's more emotion attached to families than any other unit in our society and as followers of Jesus, we have the privilege of doing life together with brothers and sisters in the faith that Christ has brought together. So I want to jump in the word this morning and hear the heart of Paul concerning his brothers and sisters in, in Rome. And just a, a, a little public service announcement. When you come to a, a place of scripture like this where there's tons of names, I'm gonna, not going to lie and say I know how to pronounce these names, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to act like I know how to pronounce these names, and you won't know the difference. So when you come to listen to names like this, act like you know what you're doing, and most people aren't going to question you and just go on through it. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Romans 16, 1 through 24 together, and then unpack uh, these verses. So Paul writes, I commend to, our, to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Tenterea. 
that you may welcome her in the Lord in, the, in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I, I give thanks, but all the churches, the Gentiles, give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those, who, those workers in the Lord, Tryphonea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlogon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greet you. So let's pray together. Fathers, we come to, Lord, what seems at first just to be a list of names. God, just show us, Lord, that these, even these words are in your word for a reason. These words have been put here by your spirit. And just show us, Lord, what it is. And what reason they're there for, which is to show us, Lord, how we respond as, as a family. As a family of brothers and sisters in you. Lord, just speak to us today, God. Lord, just give us a stronger desire, Lord, to be more of a blessing to you and to, Lord, our church and to our world. Thank you for all you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So the Christian life revolves around relationships. One of the joys of the Christian life is being together. It's laughing together, playing together, eating together, praying together, weeping together, thinking together, dreaming together, planning together, doing mission together, and worshiping together. This is what the community of saints are supposed to do. We're supposed to do this, these things together. And listen, I know there are some professing Christians who feel like they have the ability to just them and God, and I can just isolate myself, and me and God are good. But that doesn't show their spiritual maturity. That shows their spiritual immaturity. Amen. That shows that they don't understand 
why God gave us the church. Pastor Tim Keller gives this argument. He says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for relationships is the one ache that's not a result of sin. God made us in such a way that we couldn't even enjoy paradise without others. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day, 24 hours a day, yet still he needed someone. If you are lonely, you are not dysfunctional, you're healthy. You're lonely because you're not a tree. You're lonely because you're not a machine. To need deep spiritual relationships is not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but of maturity. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of health. So desiring one another, needing one another shows our need for for health and our need to mature in our faith. Let me just say this. the, The health of your walk with Jesus is measured not by how much you know or how gifted you are. It's measured by how well you know and are known within the body of Christ. Let me say it again. I want you to think about this. The health of your walk with Jesus is measured less by how much you know or how gifted you are and more by how well you know and are known by the body of Christ. And in this chapter, Paul lists 27 people by name, which reminds us that Paul did not operate Alone, Paul swam in friends. He had friends wherever he went. And just think about the diversity of the terms we just read. Paul had friends who were slaves and friends who were free. He had friends who were male. He had friends who were female. Paul traveled with friends. He stayed with friends. He visited friends. He worked alongside his friends. He was in prison with his friends. He sang in prison with his friends. He encouraged his friends and his friends encouraged him. And Paul is saying that those friends, these friends are ultimately not just friends, they're family. They're his family. So when we gather together, we're not just gathering as friends, we're gathering together as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want us to use the verses we just read today to unpack three truths related to how we treat our family, to how we treat those within the body of Christ. Christ. And some of these are going to kind of seem weird, but just follow me to the end. So the first is this, welcome one another. So we welcome one another. Paul begins in verse 1 and 2, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church, and he says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. And it's pretty significant that the first person on Paul's list is a woman. That might not seem like a big deal to you, but in this Roman culture and Jewish culture, women were not supposed to be put in a place of honor. Yet this is exactly what Paul does. In fact, nine of the 27 names that Paul mentions are women. And it's a beautiful picture. A third of the names that he mentions are women. And four of those are described as being workers for Christ. And this is where we're reminded the mission of God is not just reserved For men, missional women have always played a vital role in the advancement of the gospel. And this is where we need to understand that the church, let me give you the Bible's description, the bride of Christ, that Christ bled for, died for, raised for, ought to be a place where women, hear this, are valued, encouraged, respected, heard, honored, and deployed for Christian service. In a way that brings glory to God. 
Have you ever considered the women's role in the Bible? Deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt began with a woman named Jochebed who said, I don't care what Pharaoh says, I'm protecting my boy and I'm going to trust God. And she put her son Moses in a river. The story of the line of King David includes a faithful Gentile woman named Ruth. The preservation of the Jews in Persia was due to a woman named Esther who believed that God had raised her up for such a time as this. The New Testament story of salvation by faith through Jesus Christ begins in part by a virgin girl named Mary. Women are prominent all throughout Scripture and women women are prominent in Paul's greeting to the church at Rome. But here's the deal. Most every person mentioned in this chapter is already in Rome. But what we pick up from Paul is that Phoebe is not in Rome. She is headed to Rome. And don't miss this. She is headed to Rome with this letter. So Paul is giving her this letter to take to Rome. One pastor said, never has there ever been a greater burden carried by such tender hands as the Letter to the Romans, carried by Phoebe. She carried so much as she traveled from Corinth to to Rome, these 600 miles. I just want to take a little side step real quick and just think about this letter. There's no way that Phoebe could have had any idea that the letter that she was carrying would absolutely change the course of Christian history. For packed in the book of Romans was the theological history of the church. Think about this. In the 4th century, the book of Romans would become the ground that John Chrysostom, who became the archbishop at Constantinople, stood on to preach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. The book of Romans would be the power that changed St. Augustine or Augustine, however you choose to, to say it. The unfortunate reality is people went away from the book of Romans and Um, got away from it and remained dormant for a while until the 16th century and the awakening of Martin Luther and the Reformation began. 200 years later, in 1738, a spiritually miserable Anglican priest named John Wesley went to Aldersgate to a meeting to hear a lecture. There in this meeting, a man started reading the commentary introduction on Romans by Martin Luther. And John Wesley, hear this, who was an Anglican minister, said, I felt in that moment my heart strangely warmed and I gave my heart to Jesus. As a minister, under the teaching of the book of Romans, gave his heart to Christ. If we didn't have the book of Romans, how would we know the Romans road? If we didn't have the book of Romans, how would we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? How would we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord? How would we know that while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us? How would we know that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved? How will we know that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Without the book of Romans, how will we know that there is a God who is working all things together for our good? Praise be to God for this letter. And Paul wrote this letter and he put it in Phoebe's hands. And Phoebe made it her mission to deliver this letter to the church at Rome and to serve them the same way that she had served Paul. 
and serve them, as Paul says, as their sister in the faith. So Paul says, welcome her as your sister in the faith. She's, she's family. So Paul says, I'm sending this woman to you. And think about what Phoebe's role was. Not only was her role to take this letter, her role was also to read this letter to the church and explain it to the church if they had any questions. And Paul says, treat her, welcome her as family. Think about this. How do you treat family? You welcome them. Even look at verse 16. This is kind of crazy, but Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we're not going to try to bring that back this morning. So don't, don't get a, a, a little weirded out. But this is how the Roman culture, Jewish culture, this is how they treated their family. This is what they did. There's still fam- cultures today that greet family and others with a kiss. The idea for us is this, to treat one another excitedly, to treat one another enthusiastically. Think about the way your dog responds when you walk back in the house after a long time. All but, let's do that except don't pee on the carpet. So do all the things, be excited to see one another, be excited to, to welcome one another in. Let's enthusiastically understand that when people are here, especially when someone new comes in, we have no idea what's going on in their lives. But what we do know, if they don't have Jesus, they need the Jesus that saved us. So let's welcome them and welcome one another. Let's not grow weary in welcoming one another. And then secondly, let's honor one another. Let's honor one another and the work that God is doing through us. Beginning in verse 3, all the way to the next 11 verses, Paul is honoring those who serve Christ alongside of him. He's honoring what was done for Christ, and he's honoring what's been done in Christ. In fact, I want you to think about that expression, in Christ. If you underline in your Bible, just follow with me here. In verse 2, Paul says of Phoebe, welcome her in the Lord. In verse 3, he says of Aquila and Priscilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, he talks about the first convert to Christ or in Christ. Verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ. Verse 10, who is approved in Christ. Verse 11, those in the Lord. Verse 12, workers in the Lord. Verse 13, chosen in In the Lord, 10 times in 13 verses, the phrase in Christ or in the Lord is used. And in case that doesn't move you, here's what Paul is doing. These are former unbelievers that some were noble, some were slaves, some were men, some were women, some were Greeks and some were Jews. And Jesus changed all of their lives. He changed all of their lives. Let's just look at a few of these together. We're not going to walk through all of them, but just a few. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ who risk their necks for my life. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in the New Testament. They were from Rome originally, but they were kicked out of Rome when Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews in 49 A.D. So they moved to Corinth. They met Paul there. Eventually, they come back to Rome. And Paul proclaims to the church at Rome that on one hand, Priscilla and Aquila laid down their life for him. Paul saw a couple who laid down their life to serve alongside of him. 
to share the calling that had been given to him. They laid down their life. You don't think that moved him? You don't think that did something to him? But on the other hand, they opened up their home to the church. They opened up their home to the church to come in. Paul is honoring them. Then in verse 5, it says, Greet my beloved Epionetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. The first convert in Asia. Follow with me here. First converts are important because of what their faith represents. That God has been at work through individual sowing and plowing. It represents great hope. And Epionetus was the first convert in Asia, which is today Turkey. But follow with me here. Think about all the churches that we read about in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And Paul is saying here that Epionetus was the first convert of all of them. He was the first of all of them. I don't know how many are in here today that you were the first convert in your family. There might be a few. I'm, I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. If you are here today and you're the first convert in your family, by the grace of God, may you not be the last. May you not be the last. May the gospel continue to spread through your life. And then verse 6, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. That word worked hard in the Greek means exhausted and, or, and able to give no more. We don't know what all Mary did, but Paul wants us to be sure, or Paul wants to remind us of her work for the Lord. He wants her work to be remembered. Then we get to verse 9. Greet Urbanus, who are fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. So who in the world are Urbanus and Statius? The name Urbanus was a common name for slaves. Statues is an uncommon Greek name, but there is one um, listing in antiquity that mentions a man named Statues who was a, in the royal household. He was a, a nobleman in Rome. How significant in the same sentence Paul lists a nobleman and a slave together, showing us that God is no respecter of persons. He is no respecter of persons. Finally, verse 13, Paul says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And let's just pause for a second and say, I would suggest for anyone in here today who um, knows people that are pregnant uh, or might be pregnant, don't recommend any of these names uh, to, to be named. So just not, not a good thing today. Just no more Rufuses whatsoever. But Rufus has an interesting backstory. So if you wonder who Rufus is, let me tell you, in Mark 15, Jesus is on his way to the cross, and the cross has become heavy for him. So in Mark 15, 21, we are told that the soldiers compel a man named Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross. In Mark 15, 21, we are told that Simon had two sons, uh, Alexander and Rufus. This Rufus in the church of Rome is the son of the man who carried the cross of Jesus. So we know that Simon and Miss Simon somehow along the way or somehow maybe in that moment became followers of Christ. Maybe they stood at the foot of the cross and looked up as their Savior died. Their kids came to know Christ and now they're in Rome. What an amazing picture of what Christ does. And again, this is a reminder that these are real people with real stories and real encounters with a real Savior. 
This list of names reminds us that the heroes of the church throughout the years have been unsung heroes. The church has been blessed. The church has been sustained. The church has been built throughout its history by ordinary, regular people from varying backgrounds who were saved by grace through faith and because of their salvation now give of themselves to serve the Lord. This is the picture that we see. All of these individuals from varying backgrounds sit together in the church at Rome, hear this, as equals. I think of the words of Billy Graham that says the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no hurdles for you and I get an easy path. No, the ground is level for all of us at the foot of the cross. And this list reminds us that more important than being known by a Christian leader. So Paul knew their names, but even more important, Jesus knew their names. And according to John 10, if you're a child of God, Jesus knows your name. He knows your name, and Jesus doesn't miss one thing that you do for him. Let me say it again. Sometimes, even as a pastor, I miss what you do for the Lord. Other people might miss what you do for the Lord. But Jesus doesn't miss what you do for him. He doesn't miss one thing that you do for him. But let me, let me sit this question over you this morning. If Paul were writing a letter to our church, would your name be in it? Would your name be in it? Would he speak of your service? Would he speak of, of the way that you served and, and you gave and, and you opened and, and honored? Would, would your name be in this list? Oh, to God that it would be. And let me, let me end this point this way. The richest, sweetest, highest joy and privilege in ministry that I have experienced over the last 15 years as the pastor at First Baptist Church of Ocean Way are the relationships of those who have labored alongside of me. Words can't even express how deeply grateful I am for all the amazing people that God has put beside me throughout the years. People, some in heaven now receiving their reward, their well done. Others, God has taken other places. But I thank God for every single individual who has labored alongside of me. And I, if, let me speak to you saying you will never know the blessing that you have been to me. And I pray that I have only been just some of that blessing back to you. Amen. Honor one another. Honor the work that God does. So Paul says, welcome one another as a family. Honor one another. And then it kind of gets weird. The last truth is this. Always be discerning. Always be discerning. So welcome one another. Honor one another. But always be discerning. Meaning, don't let your heart just take over and forget your mind. Discern. Paul says in verse 17, I appeal to you, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. In verse 18, Paul says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. I don't know if you know this, but anytime there is a work of God, there will always be a counter work of Satan. Anytime that God is on the move, Satan is also on the move. 
It's the way Satan works. Years ago, a seminary professor told his class at the beginning of the semester that they would work together on one major project during that semester. They would move systematically through the New Testament to categorize every area of truth and determine how many times each area is addressed. The goal was to find out the one thing that was emphasized the most in the New Testament. When they completed the project, they were amazed to see that warnings about false doctrines and false teachers is emphasized more in the New Testament than anything else. Think about this. More than love and more than unity is the call for us not to be led astray by false doctrines. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe the New Testament is saying there is a danger to false prophets all around us. Here's what I would say this morning. Light always attracts bugs. So if you're going to walk in the light, you better carry a fly swatter. So light always attracts bugs. If you're going to walk in the light, you better carry a fly swatter. And praise be to God, we are able to carry a fly swatter in our hand wrapped in leather. Maybe you have yours um, on a phone, easily to be brought up. It works better, though, when you store it in your heart. And, of course, you know, I'm talking about the Word of God. What the Bible says matters. What the Bible says is called doctrine, and there isn't any wiggle room. You don't get to say, well, I believe certain parts of this, but I don't really believe that. We don't get that opportunity. We don't have that privilege. God said it. That settles it. Done. But understand this. God's word, yes, it sometimes cuts deep. But we find joy in the wounding. This book is called a sword. Now, let me tell you something. If someone pulls a knife on you, is that a good thing? Now, we would say immediately, no, that's not a good thing. But let me tell you, if it's a doctor with a scaffold who's about to cut cancer out of you, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And that's what this book does. It cuts the cancer of sin out of us. So therefore, when it hurts, praise God that something good is happening even in the hurt. Even in the hurt. And I want to end with verse 20. We're going to put it on the screen. You can see it in your Bible, but it's an easy verse to miss. Tucked away in the final chapters of Paul's letter, sandwiched between Paul's personal greetings and this final doxology, the following words of promise emerge. Look at these words. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, strangely enough, this is the first mention of Satan in all the book of Romans. Kind of crazy to think about. Why talk about him now? Paul has spent time laying out the doctrine. He spent um, time talking about how we as the body of Christ are called to love one another. But Paul, all the while, acknowledging that there's difficulties in that. There's difficulties in loving one another. Sometimes part of loving one another is having our, our eyes and hearts open to things that aren't true and Error. So Paul is saying, be reminded that there are false teachers, and false teachers work under their leader, Satan, who is a deceiver. It's what he does. But what Paul does here in verse 20, by pointing back to Eden, which is what he's doing in, in, in verse 20, Paul gives a fascinating reminder of God's eternal plan of redemption through Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, so long time ago, God gave this 
declaration to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So meaning the woman's going to have a seed and the seed of the woman and Satan aren't going to get along. And then he says this, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Meaning you shall deal with him a non-fatal wound, but he will crush your head. He will crush your head. God himself at the cross, Jesus, Satan got the heel of Jesus, but Jesus crushed his head at the cross. Now what we know is Satan is still a, a player in this world. And according to Revelation 20, one day Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire forever crushed. But here's the beautiful picture. God himself does the crushing. Right? You don't crush the head of Satan. God crushes the head of Satan. But God says here, but Satan still ends up under the feet of the believer. God does the crushing, but Satan still ends up under your feet and my feet. Right now, in every victory that God wins for us is an amazing preview of what is coming. Paul is saying, be encouraged because the end is near. Be encouraged. The end is near. Satan is defeated. Always be discerning. Before I close, I want to come back to the reality of us as a spiritual family. If you are in this room and you are a child of God, we are part of the family of God. In biblical terms, the people around you in these pews are your family. And just like your biological family... We haven't chosen them, and we haven't chosen each other. They've been chosen for us by God. God has chosen our spiritual family, and we are here together. Because we belong to Him, we belong to each other. Therefore, don't miss this. Every one of us, as followers of Christ, need to find a home within the body of Christ. We need to find a home within the church, and I know I know that's not always easy. It's not always easy. There, there may have been times and even maybe right now where you feel like a foreigner in, in, the, in the church, in a place of worship. I've had so many conversations with people over the years, people who have come here and they served here and they, they, this was family to them and then God called them away and they called me and go, it just doesn't feel the same. Listen, that, that first place where church first feels like family it's hard to find that again. It's hard to find that again. It's just hard. It's hard to, to find that again. But you know what? You keep pressing in. And you keep loving. And you keep welcoming. And you keep honoring. There have been times where some of us have even been hurt by our family. Those within the church. You've been hurt and you want to just give up. And just give up church altogether. Don't do it. It's God's blessing to us and for us. So, God's household is God's gift to us. Being a part of the family is crucial to our growth. How are you? How are you right now in your life? How are you welcoming one another? How are you being a blessing and welcoming those within the body of Christ? How are you honoring one another? I, I pray today that, that you are being honored for the work that you are doing. And even more than that, when I fall short of honoring you, know that we don't live. I pray, don't live for Micah's well done. Live for his. Live for his well done because his well done is better. And then may we always be discerning. May we know this truth. May we live by this book. May we test everything, as the scripture says, and hold on to what is good. And he is good.
I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call Brother Franklin musicians forward and enter in this time of invitation and consecration, however the Lord is leading you. But maybe today you're here and you never have trusted Christ. May the day be a day of salvation. Or maybe you're here and you're not a member of a faith family. If that's you, come home. Come home. We would love, we would love for you to be a part of us. And love on you and pray, be loved by you. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for every blessing and we thank you for the people that make up, Lord, the church. Jesus, you are the head, but we thank you, Father, for the many members that make up the body. And not just members of First Baptist Ocean Way, but the church as a whole. Lord, we thank you for the, the worldwide church. But we also, Lord, thank you for this local body of believers. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you, God, for what you're, you're doing. I thank you, God. I thank you for all those who have served, who are serving, and who will serve you. God, use us. Use our offerings. Use our lives. Use our service to make much of you. Lord, for those that are in here today, Lord, that have been hurt by the church, Lord, we can't promise them that there will never be a person in here that won't hurt them, but we can promise, God, that you won't. Lord, you won't. So, Father, just do in and through this your body what you desire. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.